0: Thanks for coming out. Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but we will not be deterred. Praise the Lord. Uh, I pray God's peace on this house tonight and all in it, and those who are out in uh, digital land, welcome. Um, This is a day that our Lord has made. And I pray that we would continue to rejoice and be glad in it. And, Lord, we are so thankful for these opportunities that you give us to share your word, uh, to encourage and be encouraged by our sisters and brothers. And, Father, we pray that eyes, ears, and hearts would be open to receive what you have for us tonight, Father. I'm so thankful for times like this that you give us chance after chance after chance to try and get it right. And I know that you'll just uh, continue to keep your hands on our hearts, Father. You continue to bless us beyond all measure, and I pray, Father, that, as always, that your word will be rightly divided. May you receive the glory for everything that's done and said here tonight. In the name of Jesus, our soon-returning King, we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Uh, Tonight, uh, we're going to dig into 2 Timothy, chapter 2. 2 Timothy, chapter 2. And as always, I like to give the message a title. And tonight, um, it may seem a little odd, the title that, that, that's been put on my heart, but it's actually from 1 uh, Thessalonians uh, 5.17. It says simply, Pray Without Ceasing. Simple as that. And I've had so many opportunities to, to pray with those in the body. And one of the things that sticks in my mind when they say well brother I I'm prayed out. There's really not a lot I can pray about. And uh I don't know. That doesn't quite fit with what the word of God says. And so as as we go through this tonight, I'm just going to give an example of of reasons to pray. Uh as is, as it's uh, reflected in uh uh 2nd Timothy um I'm sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 2, right at verse 1, it says, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, all people. And right right away, there are three reasons why the prayers of verse 1 are to be offered for all men. First of all, that Christians may enjoy a tranquil life. A peaceful life, as as stated in verse two of the same chapter. Uh, the second reason is such praying is good and acceptable to God, and that's to be found in verse three of this chapter. And the third reason, such prayers help bring about the salvation of men, as stated in verse four. So there are three reasons right away that we need to pray. And as we continue to dissect uh, verse one. Therefore, I exalt, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions be given and given of thanks. And they all have different meanings. Uh, First of all, supplication, and these are precise requests for specific needs. There's always, always, always specific needs that we have, uh, not just for us. And the Greek word uh, is from a root that means to lack to be deprived or to be without. And, and there are pre- precise requests for those needs, and that's for not only for us, which is something else that we're going to touch on later because as I was thinking about this tonight and having opportunities to sit in prayer and to notice that the average person is very difficult for them to get through a prayer without saying, my needs, my wants, my illnesses, my infirmities, and whatever. And what I ask myself, how often do you pray and that prayer doesn't include you? And you can ask yourself the same thing. Certainly not going to stand here and be judgmental, but I just ask that. How often do you pray and it's not about your needs, your wants, your desires? How often do you pray for others strictly? Without going there, but again that's you know that's between you and, and God, but it's just that it was just a thought that entered my mind. Richard, how often do you pray for other people and that time of prayer doesn't include you? And I won't tell you the, the answer to that. It's, it's not that important, but I just want you to ask yourself that how often do you pray for them and we're going to touch on that again. Uh, this kind of prayer occurs because of a need. The lost had a great need for salvation, and believers should always be asking God to meet that need, meet the need of the of the poor, meet the meet the needs of the needy. Uh, the second uh, thing that we'll talk about is prayer. What is prayer? Prayer is a general word in embracing various kinds of prayer, which include confession, adoration, and so on. This word comes from the root meaning to fall. In with someone, to fall in with someone. You know, th- that person, that, that, our sister, our brother is in a, in a need, they got a need, they're in a battle. And, 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 th- and the, the enemy is waging wars, or in some cases, just the flesh is waging wars. Fall in with them. And I've never been in the service, but I've heard things, you know, about being in the trenches with those that you care about and having that heart, that compassion, that love and offer whatever you can to encourage them, to fall in with them. And that's what I think about, to fall into that trench or that ditch with, with your war mates, for lack of a better word, and just to be able to do everything you can to inspire both of you or how many of you, every you there is. And that's to fall in and with, or to draw near so as to speak intimately to speak intimately. I could say, say to speak, but the, when I read add the word, when we add the word intimately, that gives us a totally different meaning. I can get in and I can pray with you, but as I'm praying with you, if, if my mind is on Daytona Beach, that really doesn't do much for us, does it? To pray intimately. I'm there with you. I'm eye to eye and ear to ear praying, seeking God's face together. It's not me praying, it's us praying. So we're in this together. Fall into, I, I've fallen in there with you. I, I'm, I'm getting close enough, I'm drawn close enough so now we can speak intimately. Uh, and this, this verb uh, comes from uh, the word that derives from the use of, of Christ and the Spirit's uh, intercession to believers. And in this case, Paul's desire to the Ephesian Christian is to have compassion for the lost. And I think in my heart that we've lost compassion for the lost. The lost in a lot of our minds, a lot of our hearts are a totally separate entity from us. Well, we're pretty comfortable. You know, we got this church down the street, Laodicean church, but it's all good. And we're doing well. Everybody's happy. Everybody's fed. Everybody's joyful. On and on and on. But what about... Down the street. What about around the corner? Do we pray for the neighborhood? Do we pray for the town? Do we pray for the city? Do we pray for our nation? It's so important for us not to forget that there are some who are less fortunate. For you know, I don't like that word in this context, but we'll go with it. Are less fortunate than us. Those are the people we need to pray for. How about going across town and getting involved in a ministry that ministers to the poor? Again, whatever the, wherever the Lord leads you, but if opportunities are there, you don't need any special, uh, special gifts. The only ability that we need to serve the Lord is ability. Be available. You don't need to be smooth. Have a lot of charisma. You don't need money. You don't need this. You don't need that. Just be available to be used by the Lord. He'll take it from there. He'll provide all your needs, no matter what they are. But, brother, I don't have the boldness to go out and minister to people on the street. I don't have the ability to do this. Moses used that line. It didn't hold up. We need to make ourselves, you're just a vessel. And that's how we need to think. You're just a vessel. Gee, I, I don't really know how the potter's going to use me. You don't have to know. You're going to be used in ways. And the, the pot, there's a full range of ways that you can be used by the Lord. We all know that. Yet we hold back from being servants. Allow the spirit to lead. Allow the heart to lead. Allow us to let go. Uh, you're not bold. You're sort of introvert. He'll make you bold as a lion. He will, if you're willing to submit to him. So let's, let's pray for the laws. Let's, let's, let's be the hand. He calls us to be his hands and feet. Yet, we're Christians in this building. Once we walk out of the door, I'm on my own. Yeah, you really are. That's the wrong attitude. When I walk out of here, I'm looking. I'm, I'm walking out into a mission field. I've come here, I've been fed spiritually, I've been built up spiritually, now I wanna go out and share that. I wanna go out and give some of what has been imputed into me into some of the less, the people who don't have as much. And it's well, everyone has an opportunity, yeah, but maybe not the same ones that you do. There's someone who's missing out because you're not available to minister to them. You're missing out because there's someone who can minister to you. But the connection is not there. How do you make that connection? The Holy Spirit has the answer. So let's go. Let's do it. Intercession. That denotes prayer to God on behalf of others. Intercessory prayer is generated when you are praying for someone else, not yourself. This would be the prayer uses here since the prayers were for all men. All men. And the fourth one, giving of thanks refers to prayers of praise. You know, I, I just, even tonight, just giving God praise for that, that beautiful worship. Fantastic. I mean, my heart is just full just from that. I I could say amen, and we can get on out of here. But we're not going to do that. Praise him. Praise him. Praise him for everything. Praise him for just the opportunity to be here, not because of this vessel, but the Lord has a message for everyone in this room. may be common, may be separate for each and every one of us, but He has a message. So give him praise for everything. Don't take anything for granted. Now, my prayer, most of all, is, when I don't want anything, theoretically, I'm speaking here, but I just want to hang with the Lord. I just want to be with him. I just want to talk to him. I want to hear him. I want to give him praise for all that he's doing. Not for me, but for us. And especially in this spiritual hospital, we get a chance to see a lot of healing. We got good doctors. We got good nurses. We got good stuff. So we're able to share with them, and it's nice to see him healing. It's nice to see an answer to prayer it's nice to see people that have been hurting or still hurting, but the Lord is working in them. He's working in them, and that's where we come in. And he's He's going to do it. He, his will will be done. It doesn't have to be you or me, but his will will be carried out. No question about it. Uh, verse 2. For kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness, and reverence. So many powerful leaders are hostile to God. They don't know him. They don't want to know him. And typically the reason they resist is because they're counting the cost. I got an opportunity to hear that today because uh, someone in the body has had a few things that didn't go well. And the reason they didn't go well because God doesn't like them. And the question was, does God hate? It says in the Bible, there are a few occasions where it says that he does. But he hates because he loves. Well, wait, what? what? He hates because he loves. He's a sovereign God. He hates sin. And we don't look at what we're doing possibly as sin. Well, I'm a good person. I never hurt anybody. I never stole anything. I don't covet my neighbor. Don't you? We'll talk about that at the end. And he, he talks about, uh, in, in verse 2, about the, the, how the Ephesians were encouraged to pray for the salvation of the Roman emperor Nero. Now, I don't know how many history buffs we got in the room. There's probably one or two who understand how Nero ruled. And Nero, in all of his life, he never received any congeniality awards. None. None. He was brutal. He was vicious. But they were, encouraged. they were encouraged to pray for Nero in spite of how he was, who he was. He was a blasphemer and a persecutor of the faith. How can you pray for someone who's a blasphemer, especially, and persecutor of the faith? Remember, everybody here, you weren't always a Christian. Yet grandma prayed for you. Mom prayed for you. Dad, granddad, they all prayed for you. Your pastor prayed for you, is praying for you. We forget. We forget. We want to cast aside those who aren't quite where we are. We forget that we weren't always like this. We didn't always have a love for Christ. Not that we were blasphemers. But because we were having such a good time, we weren't willing to count the cost and give up our fun just for the sake of following Jesus. Well, as soon as I get my act together, I'll follow him. Have we gotten our act together yet? I don't know about you guys, but uh, I'm under construction. And I know that he will have all come to salvation. I know that. I know it because the word says it. He wants all to be saved. And in this same verse, it said, Respect can best be realized when rulers are competent and rightly discharging their duties. Otherwise, it is difficult to respect rulers when they are incompetent and unjust. Why should I pray for someone who is incompetent and unjust? Because the word of God says so, that's why. And that's good enough for me. Pray for that person. Pray for those, that, that those who we find less desirable to be saved than us. Pray for them. When we, the church, consistently pray for the lost and pray for those in authority, we may experience a certain amount of religious liberty, a religious freedom. That prayer room across the hall there's some in the body who don't even know it exists. Where's a prayer room? Oh, we have a prayer room? That's, I call it the steam room. When we start turning the wheels, getting that steam pumping up, then that reflects the rest of the church. A church is only as strong as a body of believers, or that remnant that's praying for that church. That's a fact. Regardless of all the other things that we got going on, Prayer is numero uno, always was, always is, always will be, always. Let's put emphasis on prayer. Let's understand that prayer changes things. Let's understand that uh, because it's not convenient for us. We just won't do it. Prayer is so important. Never forget it. Never neglect it. When we, the church, can pr- consistently pray, God is going to bless it in the word consistently because he wants us to always be in communication with him. Always pray without ceasing. That's what it means. Always talking to God. You never run out of things to pray for. Even if you've got to get to the point where you're praying for that next breath, don't ever assume anything. There are people who would love to have the reasonable portion of strength and health that we have. Lots of them. We take it for granted. Roll out of bed. All all five senses were intact. Wow, I can see, I can hear, I can smell, I can taste, I can touch. Were you guaranteed that? Don't know. And in this context, godliness means it denotes a need to be called back to holy living, having the proper attitude and conduct before God is everything. Everything, capitalized, underlined, bolded, you name it. Proper attitude and conduct before God. Not before men, not for the, to be seen by men, but to have a proper conduct. You've got that proper conduct no matter where you go, no matter who you're with. Well, I really can't do that when I'm with my friends. Then what you're saying is you're allowing your friends to pull you to their side as opposed to you encouraging them to come to your side, the side of the Lord. I want them to know my Jesus. I want them to know my Lord. I've been where they are, and I know who their gods are. There are guys of things that can be eaten, drank, smoked, snorted, all that. That's not what we want. In this same verse, chapter 2, reverence, it refers to moral dignity and holy behavior before our sisters and brothers. Are we experiencing moral dignity and holy behavior before our sisters and brothers? Are we a discouragement? Or are we an encouragement? Ask yourself that. When, when you're compromising just to be with a certain group of people that doesn't honor the Lord. When you're giving of yourself to honor Him and everything, regardless of what your friends think of you, that honors the Lord. He wants you to be real. You've heard me say it before, there are no secret agent Christians. Doesn't exist. You know, when, when you've been around somebody long enough and they're asked, you think that person's saved? You think that person's a Christian? It should be a fairly easy answer. It, it isn't always, but there's some of us, we can, we can blend in. We are uh, Christian chameleons, so we can blend into the environment regardless. We can hang out at the bar, or we can hang out at church, and nobody will ever know what we're committed to or not committed to, shouldn't be. Verse 3, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. And this is one of the things that we talked about when we were on, uh, in uh, uh, First Timothy chapter 1, and I'm going to repeat this. We have hope for the future because Christ purchased salvation for us on the cross In the past, that's in Romans 5, 1, 2. He sanctifies us through his spirit in the present. That's Galatians 5, 16 through 25. And will lead us to glory in the future. That's in Colossians 1, 27 and 1 John 3, 2, 3. Yesterday, today, and forevermore. Never stop. Never stop. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will always love you until the end of the age. He can't lie, folks. It's in there. If he says it, you can give it the stamp of approval. It's legitimate. I will never, never leave you. Verse 4, he desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. The knowledge of the truth means to be saved. Well, I don't know. I don't know about that. Well, how can you be saved unless you know the true and living God? How can you be saved unless you know his word, unless you know his will, unless you know his way? How can you be saved? How can you even utter those words unless you know that you're committed to the cause? And that cause is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's the only way. You've got to know that you know. You've got to know and be known. Otherwise, you're wavering, you're wavering, and that's not good. In 2 Peter uh, verse, uh, 3, 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is longsuffering to us and not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Repentance what's that about? And I've heard it explained several different ways. And some people make the mistake of saying turn 360 degrees. Oops. Uh, No. No. So basically you just turned around and right back where you started. Oh yeah, you're right. That makes sense. All right. Turn 180 degrees. That's true. But you're turning hundred. You're turning away with the purpose. This is not a temporary thing. Repentance is not just to get me through the day or the week or the month or the year. When you turn, you turn from and you also turn to. So when you turn from that thing that's dragging you down and turn to Christ, that's true repentance. No other reason, no other definition of that because it's so misconstrued. I turned away. Yeah, but it was just for a season. You know, I, I'll give you. I'll throw this out there, an example. I know uh, a friend, an acquaintance. Who, you guys wouldn't notice, but he only comes to church, when uh, certain sports seasons are, over, or are, are, yeah, are over. And I heard from him this week and he gave a a different reason as to why he hasn't been coming. But, you know, he's already shared with me over the years, and I've known him for many years, and I know that we don't see him doing football season. We don't see him doing basketball season. So when he called me and told me that there was another reason why he wasn't coming, I have a tendency to, to want to defend the word of God. But there have been a couple occasions where the Lord says, You don't don't have to be my defense. I know this man's heart. I know your heart. Leave it alone. And I'll be honest with you. It was challenging, very challenging, because, you know, I I wanted to give him some scripture and and encourage him and tell him that, you know, don't tell me that because I, I know you. I know who you are. I know why you are the way you are. And the reason I'm saying that is don't be that person. Don't be that person Ladies and gentlemen, don't be like that. And he's not alone in that. There are others. You know, um, even seasonal Christians. I call that seasonal Christian. You know, I'll come to church, but I can't come when when the game is on. I can't come when it's, you know, a particular season. Now, you can look at that as being a divided heart, double-minded, or there's so many ways to describe it, but again, sounds judgmental. But I'm just saying, don't be this person. You're in or you're out. You're committed to the cause or you're not. There's no part-time Christian. No such thing. All in or all out. Uh, verse. Continue in verse four. Uh, For there is one God, there is no other way of salvation, and it says that in Acts 4.12, hence there is the need to pray for the lost to come to know the one true God. And over the years, we've heard from uh, important people, uh, celebrities, that there is more than one way to God. Now, I don't know where they read this, or I guess they made it up, but it says here that I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. There is only one way uh, to God. There is only one true God. Jesus Christ is the only mediator who can restore peace between God and sinners. So there's so, so many of us who, who want to be uh, one of the twi- Twitterettes for these people so we fall in line behind them and we believe this nonsense you know even those those other religious systems where their leaders have died and they continue to be dead our lord and savior died and rose again for us you must believe you must believe it so don't get caught up in that nonsense Jesus is our mediator. He is our high priest. He is our intercessor. And it is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that put us in right standing with the Father. Nothing else. There's nothing else. You know, I'm a good person. Are you now? And uh, as we go through this tonight, Lord willing, we're going to touch on, on when the, the, uh, the, the Ephesians uh, we're being seduced by those who want to teach them to be under the law. So the thing about being under the law is you can be a good person. And what makes me a good person? Because I'm a better person than you. So that makes me good. According to the law, I have a measuring stick. Yeah, but brother, we're under grace. Oh, how do you measure that? There's only one person who can measure Grace. And he gives us just what we need, just enough. The law, I can measure it. Grace, only God can measure it. So when we start to venture over into that, about being a good person, we're under the law. We're stating law. Otherwise, how do you, how do you know whether you're good or not? You only know with, good or bad are comparative statements. So I can only know if I'm good if I, can, uh, if I compare myself to someone who's less or someone who's bad. Otherwise, how do I know? I don't know. I'm a good person. What makes you a good person? Well, I haven't broken the law. Okay. You we want to go back and reread what the law says. And as, uh, you know, most of you know the story of the rich young ruler. I'm not going to go there, but, you know, how he felt about it. You know, well, I've, I've done all these things, have you? I've never stolen any, anything. I've never murdered anyone, you know, because he's thinking from a law standpoint physically. But what God is saying, he goes a lot deeper. He goes to the heart. Haven't you murdered anyone? Matter of fact, you murdered someone this morning, my brother. Oh, well, I didn't realize that. Well, only because we're interpreting the law to benefit us. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. And again, folks, he gave his blood for us. Verse 6, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Christ did not pay a ransom only. He became the object of God's just wrath in the believer's place. He took our place, not just a ransom. So much more. Uh, to be testified, it talks about to be testified in due time. And that could mean proof given at the right time. At the appropriate time in God's redemptive plan, as it talks about in Galatians four four, Jesus' sacrifice is proof of God's wish for all to be converted. All. Well, I'm going to send my son to die for uh, the... the uh, all the righteous folks. <laughs> okay, how would that work for you and me? Will we will we fall even today, even sitting here in God's house? Can we necessarily count ourselves among the righteous folks? Not saying that we can't. Just throwing that out there. Can we count ourselves among the righteous? Well, sometimes. Well, the answer is no. I'm righteous sometimes. doesn't work like that. So if he only allowed his son to die for the righteous, then I don't know what that says for us. And, and he also talks about to be testified in due time. And that word testify means to tell something because you know it to be a fact. Who All who have been saved can testify of Jesus. How do you know what the facts are relative to a lie? This book, this book, this book that we hold contains truth and truth only. No lies, no promises that can be broken, nothing to make us not want to trust the Lord that died for our sins. Nothing, not one word, not one sentence, not one anything all truth. So that's how we know. That's how we know the facts. And we can testify those facts. Well, how do you know that? Because the word of God says so. So how do you know it's true? How do you know it's right? Because it's in the Bible. Well, how do you know that you can trust the Bible? Well, you know what? All I can tell you is I live by faith. And so far, he hasn't disappointed me. Not yet. And this word tells me that he won't. So I can believe with all my heart that this is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Verse 7, for which I am appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Are we uncompromising in our commitment to the truth? The church is not to agitate or disrupt national life. Are we all about the truth? We must be. So, my advice is to stick with the word of God. Can't go wrong. So if anybody comes up after service, say, brother, you said something, and I'm not quite sure that's true. What did I say? You said, right here, end of argument, that's my experience, and I'm sure our pastor has experienced that as well. Okay? You don't, don't argue with me. You argue with God. And not just our pastor, but all of you, everybody in this room, this guy I know for sure, you know. Don't argue with me. This is what the word of God says. As I look around the room, you know, I can say each and every one of you have been in that situation before. I'm not going to argue with you. It's senseless. It's it's vain. This is what the word of God says. Take it to him. And move on. The truth. The whole truth. Paul's need to make uh, this distinction suggests he was dealing with some form of Jewish exclusivism that had crippled the Ephesians' interest in praying for Gentiles to be saved. We're not going to pray for those. We're not going to pray for those guys. They, they're not worthy. Uh, and I, I think that our brother Jonah used that line, if I'm not mistaken. Not praying for those. Those guys are maroons. I'm not going to pray for them. You know, okay, brother Jonah. We'll see. So God used them. Paul teaches the Gentiles that faith alone and not works will save a person. Possibly the reason that Paul is saying this again is because the Judaizers were not pleased with the message that Paul taught. How dare you get up there and, and, and tell them that all they need to do is pray and seek the Lord and, and turn from their wicked ways and on and on and on. How dare you tell them that? Because by them believing in that, then that means we're losing control now. And Paul remember. There was another guy that we had to take out because he was messing things up. So we're willing to do the same thing to you, Paul. Don't make us go there, Paul. They wanted the Christians to keep the old Mosaic law, even though they were believers in Christ. And Paul was reminding Timothy the message of salvation through faith was the truth. Again, the truth. The message of salvation through faith is the truth. We're not religious folks, in spite of the fact that we use that terminology. We are faith-based, first and foremost. Well, what's the difference? Big difference. You heard this before? You're going to hear it again. Everybody is religious. Well, not me, brother. I'm an atheist. You're religious. You're religious. Well, what do you mean? There are things that you do over and over and over again. You have routines, and that's all religion is. If we came here every Sunday morning and we just clapped our hands and said amen when the pastor said say amen, or we sang when, when you know, the, the worship leader said, okay, everybody sing with me. We're religious. We're doing that. We're just following this routine, following this ritual. How about coming in, just allowing the Lord to move your heart, allowing the Lord to move your hands, your feet, your mouth, your ears, your eyes. Just allow the Lord to do that. You are part of a faith-based system. You can call yourself religious just for the sake of conversation, because if you say, I'm not religious, I'm faith-based, now you're opening up a conversation with your friends may not be prudent at this juncture. Verse 8. I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, living up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Everywhere. Paul's reference to the official, and Paul is making reference to the official assembly of the church as it states in First Corinthians 2.14, uh, 1 Thessalonians 1.8. The official assembly of the church everywhere. The Greek word, and here we talk about the word holy, holy hands. The Greek words for holy hands means unpolluted, unsustained by evil. And hands symbolize the activities of life. Well, I do this, that means I'm holy. No, it doesn't. If I don't do this, it means I'm not holy. No, it doesn't. These are life. You raise them, praising the Lord, you can praise the Lord from here if you choose, if he puts that on your heart. Don't fall into this, you know, I've heard the terms Pentecostal. This is what we do. You've got to show emotion. You've got to make noise so the Holy Spirit is not present. Hogwash. That means, it has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit being present. And when you go to these churches where they're doing cartwheels in the aisle, uh, that's the Holy Spirit. Uh, okay. See you. Uh, the Greek word for holy means unpolluted or un, un, uh, unsustained by evil, and our hands represent a holy life. The basis of effective prayer is a righteous life. Want proof? Go to James 5.16. A righteous life. What does that mean? It means that you're right in every aspect of your being. Every aspect. So let's, uh, let's be careful. You know, when we, when we say we've made a commitment to the Lord that it's not just lip service. That we are honoring him in everything, in every way, every time, every day. No matter who we're with, be bold as lions. Are you ashamed of me in front of your friends? Don't be, because you're putting me in a position where I'm going to be ashamed of you in front of my father. You don't want to hear that. That's not a good thing. Verse 9. In like manner also that the women adorn themselves with modest modest apparel, with propriety, in moderation not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing. This is one of those that, that we really, uh, I would say, um, before I came to Calvary Chapel of Rochester, we came to Calvary Chapel of Rochester, we experienced this. We experienced women who had more money than most other women. So they had to make sure that it was visible. And this is what he's talking about here. You know, they used to braid gold and and beads and pearls into their hair just so they can be seen. The thing that I like, and uh, God forgive me, I'm not selling Calvary Chapel in Rochester. And we haven't gone to a lot of churches. But I pray that so far I haven't seen a problem with that. I think most of the women here, or all of the women here, are modest. They dress appropriately, you know, not as a distraction, and they conduct themselves appropriately. And I thank God for that. Because there are some of us men who are very easily distracted by that apparel, that mannerism, and other things. So I pray to God that we that things don't change, that we continue. And we have men and women in the church who are willing to take a stand when those standards are not being upheld. Well, brother, aren't we under the law? Aren't we being, uh, you know, um, secular when we do that, when we dictate? The idea is not to be a distraction. What do you come to church for? You want to go to a fashion show, you have to go down the street. But for here, it's not an issue. That's all I'm going to say about it. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And the, the, the women learn in silence. Women are not to be public teachers when the church assembles, but neither are they to be shut out of the learning process. Very important to understand that. Very important. Uh, if, if you want to challenge that, uh, if you want, you can just go to Genesis i just say the the book of Genesis and and reread it. I know we've all read it, but reread it. And this is, well, brother, that's outdated. That's old-fashioned. Times have changed. So as a Christian, if you're telling me that times have changed, you're telling me that this has changed. And for what I remember, I'm the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow the same so the word of God is the same he established an order he all he, there's order in everything that he does there's order in everything that he says again this is a situation that if you want to challenge what was just said read the book go back and reread it and understand it it's not a matter of these are different days these are different times it's not about that at all. God has an order and he retains that same order. And there's a reason for it. And if you wanna really know, it's all here. He can tell you why he did it. And, and there's more on that. But uh, I don't think it's really necessary that we just continue to, to dialogue about it. Because, you know, uh, just, just read the word. And it all makes sense. Verse 12. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over man, but, be, but to be in silence. And Paul say, I suffer. And he doesn't say, permit, I suffer not. And in the Greek word for suffer not is used in the New Testament to refer to allowing someone to do what he or she desires. Paul may have been addressing a real situation in which several women in Ephesus desired to be public speakers or public preachers. So he was addressing a problem. Which was there among others. There were other problems with, with the dress, the dress and, the, and the, the flaunting of riches. He addressed all of that, and this was just another issue. And uh, we can, we can uh, look at that in Acts 18 or Titus 2 and usurp authority. You've heard that term. i like to think we, we've all heard it usurp authority. What does that mean? And Paul forbids women from exercising any type of authority over men in the church assembly. Since the elders are those who rule, and it talks about that in five seventeen, they are all to be men, as if clear from the requirements in verse three, uh, two and, uh, chapter three, verses two and five. Thirteen, verse thirteen. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Two reasons are giving for that command in verse twelve that verse 12 that says, and do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over man, but to be in silence. And the two reasons are, God could have created the woman first, or both simultaneously, but he did not, as it was always his intention for men to lead and women to follow. Well, I don't like that. Take it up with my God. That's his order. And the second reason in Genesis 3 The sad thing is that Adam was not deceived, but he sinned in full knowledge. God established an order. In verse 14, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. God has an order in everything, ladies and gentlemen. Verse 15, nevertheless... She will be saved in childbearing if they, if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. And there's a lot here. Uh, in the interest of time, I just want to touch on a verse that I pray that we can be encouraged by. It. So let's jump over into Luke 10. Luke chapter 10. Let's start at verse 25. Luke 10, 25. And we're going to close with this. Luke ten twenty five And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So the, the lawyer answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you had answered rightly. Jesus said, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. But the lawyer, one to justify him, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a certain priest Came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. 32. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So the question is, so which of these three do you think was neighbors to him who fell among thieves? Was it the priest? Was a Levite, or was a Samaritan. And he said, He who showed mercy on him, then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. And that's to say, that priest, and that, that let's start with the Levite. The Levite uh, was from the, 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 the tribal Levi. But he was not a descendant of Aaron, and it makes a difference and that priests assisted the Levite in the temple. So these are godly men, in theory. Godly men. but they weren't available to help this man. That Samaritan, first of all, he was in a place that a Samaritan would not normally be because just by being where he was at that time, he was subjecting himself to the same cruelty as this man, the very same, just by the fact that he was not wanted in, that, in this place, but he was there. The Lord put him there. And in, in verse uh, 31, it says, now by chance, uh, not with our God, and uh, in verse 33, I uh, just want to note that uh, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him and whatever more you spend when I come, I will pay, repay you. Now what we need to understand is how much is two denarii? That's two full days pay. So this person was willing to give that innkeeper, two days' pay to hold him and then commit to whatever, however longer the man stayed. And I know this it's not about the value of it, but it's the heart of the matter. I don't know this man. It doesn't say that he does or doesn't, but I'm not gonna spend my hard-earned money on him. This is two days' work that I'm giving and committing to do more if necessary. What would you do? Rhetorical question. What would you do? And going back to 36, so which of these three do you think was neighbor to him and who fell among the thieves? Who fell among the thief, and he showed mercy on him? Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Among the the, uh, scribes and Pharisees, the righteous is our neighbor. The righteous is our neighbor. We talked earlier, Jesus died for the righteous. So you're saying that Everybody that Jesus died for is our neighbor? Uh, yeah. Brother, you don't realize how difficult that is. Yeah, I realize how difficult it is. Because, he says, Richard, are you keeping the second, uh, second commandment? Uh, not so much. Uh, the people that were their neighbors were the people who were like them. And there were a group of people who were not like them. Tax collectors were not like them. Prostitutes were not like them. Gentiles were not like them. And Samaritans were not like them. So they can't be my neighbor because they're not like me. I just got to ask you folks, anything new under the sun? Nothing. Nothing new under the sun. Well, he can't be my neighbor because we don't have the same economic status. Jan. He can't be my neighbor because uh, I live in a totally much, much better neighborhood. Can't be my neighbor because I got this really, really sweet job making mucho dinero, so it can't be my neighbor. My encouragement to you, 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 and you, anybody that you can see, not necessarily touch, I wouldn't advise it, is your neighbor, anybody let's not distinguish between who's better off than us and who's worse off than us. Jesus died for the righteous. Anyone who's righteous is your neighbor. Period. Well, you know, brother, that's, that's tough. Yeah, I know. I, I, I uh, posed this question to you guys once before, and I'm going to do it again anybody out there or even in digital land when you see me when you show me where it said that following Christ would be easy. Show me that and then convince me. So this goes with the territory. You're not going to love everybody unless you submit to the Holy Spirit. Not only Will you? But you can't. You can't. There's some people, it's just our human nature, and everybody in this room is wrapped in flesh. So there's a rub right there. There's a problem. So let's love our neighbor. Let's pray without ceasing. Let's get in and know that prayer is never done, it it doesn't end. Let's pray for the loss. Let's pray for those in authority. Let's pray for our pastors. Let's pray for the church. Let's pray for the body of Christ. Lord, we give you thanks for what you've done tonight, Father, and I just pray if if there was anything that was said that discouraged my sisters or my brother, Father, I just pray that you would erase it from their minds even now. I thank you for this opportunity to share, and I just pray, Father, as always, Uh, And again, that your word was rightly divided. I pray, Father, that as we go out, Father, that you would just uh, keep that hedge of protection around us, Father. Get us home safely uh, and uh, to be able to, to know that you love us regardless. You're with us here. You're with us on our way home. And you'll be at our homes when we arrive. So please, Lord, we give you the glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for hanging out.